Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Children's Church. Yeah. If you'll follow Lee. Children leading children. I don't know. <laughs> You better have that letter S on your shirt if you're working with kids, huh? Do the bullets bounce off? Hey, been shot with a few spitballs in my life, yeah. <clears throat> well, I know quite a few people that are from the Winsboro area. The ones that I know, though, are not really from Winsboro. They're from Swampers. And uh, not only in Swampers. Um, see, one out of three people that live in this area are from, that, from Franklin Parish. And they're either from uh, Fort Necessity, they're from Swampers, or from Wisner. I don't know why the folks in Wisner, I do know why the folks in Wisner, they want to be from the city. And, and so uh, a lot of folks down here, that I'm surprised uh, when I pastored Walker Baptist Church, you probably know a lot of the people that are in that church because they were raised uh, in, in uh, Winsboro, in the Winsboro area. My first church was uh, across Highway 4, uh, way down yonder, a little place called Castor, Louisiana. Uh, Swampers is bigger than Castor. And um, they painted the name of the town on both sides of the sign so they could save money when you were driving through. And uh, we were 50 miles from anywhere and five miles from the middle of nowhere. That was my first church. I've pastored that. Uh, okay, you're, if you're from Winsboro, you're familiar with the Greater Metropolitan First Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Urania, Louisiana. That place was out of this world. And you couldn't get there from anywhere. It was off the main road over in LaSalle Parish. So that's some of my journey in pastoring churches. When I heard Winsboro, I said, I bet you he's from Swampers. Are you from Swampers? There you go. There you go. And um, a lot of good folks. I know a lot of good folks that are from that area up there as well. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Jude. Your book of what? Um, we don't ever, we just sort of blow over it. And the only time we mention the book of Jude is when we're quoting uh, the books of the Bible. And we get to Jude. It's best known for being the next to the last book in the New Testament, known for being the shortest book in the New Testament. And we blow over it so we can get on to Revelation. Uh, but when we read it, we somewhat read it so fast that we don't have time to let it sink in. I've heard pastors make the statement, I could spend six months in the book of Jude. I've got involved in a deep study in the book of Jude, and I'm going to tell you something. They're right. You could preach for six months. Somebody told me y'all had to be at the nursing home by three. So uh, I promised to let y'all out uh, probably about 250 I said, Preacher, we don't care when you finish, but we're leaving in, in, in about 20 minutes, huh? So, so Jude, we're going to begin reading at um, uh, we're going to begin reading at verse one. We're going to read through verse four. Then we're going to jump down to verses twenty through twenty-three. I'm going to tell you what I've been studying before we read. Let me tell you what I've been studying. God has laid it upon my heart. He's He's put some things in 
my heart about the condition of the church today. The church in the United States of America is in trouble today. We are anemic. And what I mean by anemic is this, that we have grown weak in who we are and what we do as the people of God. And and one of the reasons why is that we've had false teaching and false doctrine creep into the theology of the church. You can watch it on TV. Turn on TV. You can hear false teaching. And let me tell you what the false teaching sounds like. I'd rather hear that guy preach than go hear Brother Mark preach about the gospel, about repentance, about changing the direction. I'd rather hear this guy. I feel good. When there's no repentance involved, we feel pretty good, don't we? But you know, the goal, I'm going to tell you, I feel best after I repent. I'll just tell you that. Because I've done business with God. I've laid down my sins. I've let God put a fresh filling of his presence and power within me. And so Jude is overlooked. You need to know who Jude is. Jude is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look back over in Mark, he's the brother of James, who is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, according to Acts chapter 15. And you'll see his name was Judas over in Mark. But could you imagine at this time, a guy by the name of Judas would want to change his name, wouldn't he? Because there are three Judases mentioned in the Bible. Judas Iscariot. The other disciple, Judas, who was not Iscariot. And Judas, the half-brother of Jesus. That's who we're looking at here. The Jude is another name for the name of Judas. And so, <clears throat> I want us to look right here. And we'll, we'll, we'll go. I've got a lot to say. But I want you to know something. I'm going to respect your time. When I've said enough, I'm going to call it to a halt, okay? And so if we have that understanding, I think we have a good groundwork to go forward. Look here as we read beginning in verse 1. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who were called loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you, now hear these words, to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Keep listening. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now, jump down to verse 20. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on those on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. May God add his richest blessings upon the reading of his holy word. There's some truths that I want us to draw 
from the book of Jude today. About four truths that I want us to see today. First of all, there is the call to contend for the faith. Are we doing it? Or are we just sitting back and going, hey, whatever, whatever. You know, that, that's sort of what we're doing. We go whatever. We think that when we come into church on Sunday morning that it's the musician's job to come up and play something good. Good. Hey, listen, I, I, we had good music today, didn't we? Amen. I like, good, I like good music better than I like bad music. But uh, love good music. And we heard good music today. But here it is. We come in and we go, we double-dog dare you to, to bless me with your singing. The preacher gets up and we go, we double-dog dare you to get to us with what you have to say. It's my job to proclaim the Word of God. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Amen? Can't do that. But I can tell you what it is the Word of God says, and then it's up to you as to what you will do with the Word of God in your life. Now, we're told here, contend for the faith. We got a lot of trash that's being proclaimed in the name of Jesus that has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. It has to do with religion and not necessarily the faith, the faith message. And so here it is. We contend for the faith that is based upon the common salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. We have a common salvation. If you're a child of God, if you've been blood-bought and born again, hey, we have a common faith. Amen? A common salvation. What saved you? The blood of Jesus. What saved me? When I was a 14-year-old boy um, living in the middle of Shreveport, um, I heard a gospel message preached on the radio. I'm one, one out of a hundred people will say that they came to faith through media evangelism. Praise God for media evangelism. I got saved by hearing the gospel message preached on the radio. And so, so I praise God for that. I trusted Jesus, and my life has never been the same. Jesus got a hold of my life, and he has not turned loose. And so here it is. We have a common salvation built upon the faith of who we are in Christ. Faith is belief. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you what believe is. Believe is more than a word coming out of the mouth. It's a condition of the heart. It's the surrender of our life that dares to say, Lord Jesus, I'm putting my life in Your hands. It's belief. Faith is real. So faith is belief, faith is real. It's not faith in faith itself. You know, that's how we have watered down the Word of God because we'll go, well, you see, it's sort of like this. We need to have faith. Faith in what? Well, you know, if we just have good positive attitude, everything will work out for the best in the end. No, faith is a belief and a trust that Jesus is Lord, that God is God, and that He's in charge of our lives, and our lives are in His hands. So faith is real. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's substance. 
We used to, in chemistry class, here you go, Nick, you hadn't heard this one. In chemistry class, they would take, we would, we would be given a test tube with a solution in it. And then we had to take it, put it over the Bunsen burner. We had to burn everything else away, then identify the substance that was in the bottom of that test tube. When everything else is taken away, everything else where you find support in your life, take it away, what do you have left? It's, it's substance. The other word is evidence in Hebrews 11.1. 1, the evidence of things unseen. Evidence is a forensic term that's used right there. You're thinking CSI right now. But what it is, it's evidence that holds up in a court of law. In other words, you've, heard, you've read the sign, if there was enough evidence to convict you as a Christian. See, if there, are you living, I forgot this quote. I forgot the bumper sticker. If you were to be arrested for, for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There's, there it is right there. That's evidence that will stand up in a court of law. And so faith is real. We're saved by faith, to live by faith. And, but you know what I found out? When we contend in the church, I've been doing this for 45 years, either as an associate pastor, as a pastor, now as a director of missions. Hey, nothing's really changed. Nothing changes in this regard because what I've noticed, the things that we contend with in the church is not the issues of faith. We contend with religion. Now, what, is, what do you mean religion? Well, we're being religious and we're being in church on Sunday morning. That's religious. Religion is a man-made structure through which, in a positive way, our man-made structure means we come to this building on Sunday morning. That's good, isn't it? And we come and we get together. We read the Word of God together. We study together. We worship together. We come together and plan what we're going to do for the Lord Jesus Christ corporately as well as individually in our lives. That's what we do. And so religion in that regard... What is it? We work out our faith in fear and trembling. That's what we do. But there's another side of religion. Religion in the negative sense be becomes a form of godliness devoid of power. Empty of power. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read a few verses here. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, all of these here, all, man, those are a lot of negative qualities right there, aren't they? Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, they look religious, they look good on the outside, but inside, inside there's dead man's bones. We're a, like an open sepulcher, an open grave. We're whitewashed on the outside, but there's death on the inside. That's when we're serving religion. Religion has nothing to do with God and Christ. 
It's relationship. It's easy to substitute religion for relationship with Almighty God. Amen? We, it's easy to be religious because we control how far we'll go. We'll control who and what we are. We'll control ourselves. We'll set the limits. But when we have relationship with God, God will take us outside of our comfort zone and lead us to places we thought we'd never go before. And he'll do more with us than we ever thought he could do with us. And so right here, here in our passage that we're looking at, contend for the faith. We should be engaged because false teaching is creeping into the theology of the American church and it's watering us down for what we ought to be doing. He's exhorting his listeners. Contend. This word contend means wrestle. Fight for your life as if, it, if, if, if your life was dependent upon it. Fight for your life as far as your faith is concerned. Amen? That's what it's saying to us in this passage of Scripture. Hold firm to the faith of Christ who died as a substitute for our sin that we might be saved. Hold firm to the doctrinal truths of the apostles' teaching which includes the gospel of Christ. Verse 4. Look at verse 4 here. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. New American Standard, King James Version, talks about somebody creeps in. Somebody has creeped in. Look out for the creepers. Contend for the faith. Look out for the creepers. Now, this is a good word for false teachers. A creeper is something that sneaks in. <laughs> or slithers in. In. Ladies are up here going, I understand that slither thing. I don't want that. That's, that is creepy. It slithers in by stealth. It finds a crack, a small hole, and it infiltrates a house or a building. Here's another analogy. I've been working in the garden, and my lower back is reminding me of it. Creeping vine. You, you're familiar with the creeping vine? We have this vine that, that will attach on to one of our beautiful flower and plants. And it works its way and intertwines itself on that plant all the way to the top. And, and if you don't catch it in time, what it will do is once it gets to the top, it will squeeze the life out of that plant. You lose the flower, you lose the plant. A false teacher is like a creeping vine that crawls up and squeezes the life out of the believer, out of the church. And so we have to look out for creepers. The goal of the lawless one. By the way, do you know that Jesus is not the only one that has agents in the church today? Satan has agents in the church today. Because Satan is a ravaging and roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The goal of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy, by, according to Jesus in John 10.10. 10. Now, I want you to notice how the creepers come in. They creep in undetected, unnoticed. They earn a hearing from those in the church. And not necessarily bad people by appearance. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Satan appears as an angel of light. 
Consider that creeping vine that comes in slowly, methodically, then chokes the life right out of the plant. And so here it is. Contend for your faith. Verses 4 through 19, I've just covered that. Look out for creepers. Why didn't you cover more of it? We'd be here for six months. So here it is. You need to go back and read those verses. It'll be very clear and succinct as to what the character traits are of the one who comes in, who slips into the church for the purpose of leading the church astray. Okay? And then, construct a firm foundation for living. That's down in verse 20. A firm foundation for living. Bankers used to bankers and FBI and, and policemen. How can you tell a counterfeit bill from a real bill? How can you tell it? Well, they got that little strip in that twenty dollar bill now, and you hold it up to the light, you can see. Yeah, but that they listen. Counterfeiters can even counterfeit that now. But you know what? How do how do you how do you do it? by being so familiar with the genuine article that when the false comes along, you'll be able to notice it. So here it is. They can tell by feel, by touch. Bankers have told me, oh, you can tell. The paper's wrong. The grain is wrong. The colors are wrong. But copiers have made it more challenging. But, but, you, can, but you can look at it. They, have, they don't have the right kind of paper that they're making the copy. You can tell just like that. Do you know how you can tell that you have a false teacher in your midst? Do you know how? You're so familiar with the genuine article. You're so familiar with Jesus. You're so familiar with his word. You are filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in your life to such a degree when anything false comes up, Red lights start going off in your head. Now, so what do we do in order to be able to identify that which is false? Look at it. It says, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. Now, here, here are the truths that are being said in this, this passage. Build yourselves up. Grow up in your faith. Grow in the Word of God. Gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was a 14-year-old boy. I want you to know that was the starting line of a faith life. It was not the, not the finish line. It wasn't the finish line. God had only just begun in my life. He began to work and move in my life in different ways until he yanked the chain on me one day and says, I think I want you to be a preacher. That, was, that took a hard yank. He had to take me dra dragging, scratching, and clawing, and hollering. Uh, and I don't mean that ugly because, you know, there's a lot of preachers. It's the greatest joy of my life when I was called to be a preacher. I, I want you to know God had to get my attention. He had to hit me over the head with a two-by-four. 
why my brother was a pastor. I saw what happened to him as a pastor. I don't want to get into that. But, but here it is. God leads you to what you need to be. He led me into learning his word, studying to show myself approved unto God as workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He, 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 he grew me up in his word, gave me opportunities to pastor and to preach, to love people, care for people, and point people to Jesus. And so here it is, we're to build ourselves up in the faith, grow in the faith. And that takes time. I'm not what I used to be. Let me share something. I'm not yet what I'm going to be. Why? Because Jesus is not through with me yet. He's only just begun. Where I am today is a foundation for where God wants to take me to the future. Well, preacher, last time you was here, you told us you had more years in the rearview mirror than you did in the windshield. Amen to that. Where do you think you're going, preacher? One day I'm going to go be with the Lord, but until then I'm going to do everything that I can to help pastors and help churches get ready to reach the next generation. Amen? And so, so that's what I'm going to do until then. So you build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Faith is something of surrender of our life. But here, the word faith is used differently. The word faith here is talking about a body of belief. What is it that you believe, and why do you believe it? That's a body of faith. The Apostle Paul said, hey, when I was in Jerusalem, they had a hard time believing that the person who persecuted them was now proclaiming the message of the faith. And that's the body of belief about who Jesus is. It's about proclaiming the gospel of Christ, your most holy faith. It's the foundation for the way that we're to live our lives. And we're also, we're told by Jude, that we are to be a people of prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Do you know what God is saying to Jeremiah? What he's saying to the children of Israel? Pray. You know what prayer is? It's talking with God. And you know when you talk with God, it's not a one-way street, is it? Now, Lord, you know where I am. I need some money, Lord. I need a car. We think God is a vending machine. But what we need to do as we're talking to God, we need to slow down and listen to hear how God is speaking to us. And as He speaks to us, He will give us direction, and that direction will be what we believe about God will be determined by the very next thing that we do, the next step that we take. So we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Back over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 uh, really tells us about that. Chapter 8 verse 10 says that if we do not have Jesus in our life, if we don't have His Spirit within us, we don't belong to Him. So here it is. If you're a child of God, you have all of God that you're ever going to get in your life. You're the Holy Spirit, baptized you, came in, walked in. He's in the driver's seat of your life. 
But to be filled by the Spirit is something that happens periodically throughout our lives. To be filled with the Spirit means that we are yielding the control of our life to, to the Holy Spirit to direct our path. And when we drift and go astray, we push the Holy Spirit aside. We grieve Him. We quench Him. We do our own thing. We mess up. We're convicted of our sin. We repent. We ask God, cleanse me and fill me afresh and anew. So we're talking about being guided by the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Look in verse 26 of chapter 8. Verse 26, here it is. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray, what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together. For the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. And so we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when, when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, He's going to show us when things go amiss. Now I'm at that point where I told you I'm going to have to bring things to an end. I have more to preach. I'll save it for next time, okay? Here's, here's the thing. Let me tell you, there's false teaching that's going on that's creeping into the church. Here is the false theology that has captivated the church in North America today. God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's the theology. That's the crux of it right there. And you know that works well. When everything's going well, amen? And there's a, there's, a, there's a line of truth in that, isn't there? Do you know mo most false teaching is based on 90% truth and 10% error? This guy's not around. This guy's dead. I hope he's with the Lord. I don't think he's with the Lord, but I hope he's with the Lord. This guy would get on right before all, right before, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show everybody my age now, Porter Wagner. Anybody know who Porter Wagner he had, he had 5 o'clock, he came on every Saturday afternoon. At 5.30, Wilburn Brothers came on. But at 4.30, this guy would come on. And I heard he was a cult preacher, that he was a cult, that he was a false teacher. So I listened. I said, this guy is telling the truth. In a 28-minute broadcast, for 25 minutes, he taught the truth. And then in the last three minutes, he brought in every kind of thought that made you doubt the deity of Christ, that Christ was no different than anyone else. He was a false teacher. And for $29.99 and $10 a month, he'd continue to send. That's the whole issue right there. Send me your money now. 90% truth, 10% error. The 90% truth is to gain your confidence. The 10% error is to get the hook in and drag you away and scatter the believers. We see a lot of that going on today, and I'm going to tell you, some of these, um, 
prosperity theologians, as they call them. They have huge churches. They draw huge numbers. Do you know what that's doing to our mainstream churches that struggle from week to week to keep the doors open? Maybe we ought to sneak in and do some of that ourselves. Start preaching what they're preaching. We'll get a crowd. See, our business is about not about raising a crowd. It's about making disciples. It's about taking people in the lostness of their sin and introducing them to Jesus Christ and then growing them up to full maturity in Christ. I want to go over just some things here. You can read about these. I'm going to give you some things real fast. Buckle your pew belt. Because here it is, when you get things right in your life to God, there was one other point. Call out to others. Our responsibility, once we contend for the faith, we're on the lookout for false teachers. We have constructed a sure foundation to live our life on. We're to call out to others. Have mercy on those who are doubting. If you see somebody struggling, we're to come alongside and help pick them up. Amen? We're to save others, snatching them out of fire. If you see somebody that's on the road to a devil's hell, we have a moral obligation to point them to Jesus. Amen? To get involved with them so we can point them to Christ. Third, have mercy with fear, hating the garment polluted by the flesh. We're to have mercy on those that are struggling, on those that are being snatched out of the fire. We're to have mercy on them. But with fear, check yourself before you get involved. Make sure you're not being holier than thou. There's a difference between being holy and being holier than thou. And so in Galatians, we're told to examine yourself. Look at yourself. Make sure you got things right before you go meddling in the lives of other people. So we show mercy with fear. And then we hate the garment polluted by the flesh. What does that mean? We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. Amen? That's where we are. And we're to keep ourselves in the Lord, rooted in the Word, worshiping God, praying in faith, fellowshipping with other believers. That is partnership in the gospel effort, and then we're to witness to the world. Now, Jude warned believers, be on the lookout for false teachers who are infiltrating the church. Church, we cannot live a double life. We have the idea we can know Jesus, be saved of our sin, and then live like the rest of the world out there. We can't do it. We can't do it. We're called, I'm going to give you over in First Peter, First or Second Peter, we're called to be a peculiar people. That's what Mark said about me first time he saw me. Yeah, you look rather peculiar. See, here's the thing. Peculiar means we are to look different. And what makes us different? It's not the way that we dress, the way we walk, the way that we talk. What makes us different? different is that we know Jesus and we're living for him and we're living it in such a way when others see us they see Jesus in our lives wow that's what we're to be doing church to contend for the faith means to live God's kind of life to be rooted and grounded in our faith to share our faith and to practice our faith daily confess our sins 
turn, live our lives for the Lord. Now, I have an obligation. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. I don't know. I don't know who you are. You, you know just enough about me to throw darts at my picture or put it out in the corn patch to scare off the crows. That's, that's what you know. We don't really know each other, but here it is. There may be someone who's on the road to a devil's hell. I joined the church when I was nine years old, but I was not saved. I slipped in under the radar. When I was 14, I was convicted of my sin, showed the need for Jesus as Lord and Savior in my life. And I want to tell you something. I put my life into the hands of Jesus. My life has never been the same since. And Jesus has got a hold of my life, and he hasn't let go. He won't let go. If you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you the Bible school plan for how to present the plan of salvation. We have to admit that we're sinners, that, that, that we cannot save ourselves. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are you a sinner? I am too, okay? I'm a sinner. The wages of sin is death. The payday for our sin is death. Death means separation. If, I, if my soul were to separate from my body right now, I'd plop right about here. But I'm going to tell you what. My soul would be gone. My body would be dead. Separate, but there's a second separation. The soul away from the presence of God. The second death. For the wages of sin is separation from the presence of the love and the grace of God. And so we have to admit that we're sinners who cannot save ourselves. We must believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God who came and entered into our walk, entered into our experience, tempted and tested in every way that we are, yet without sin. And so, so Christ became our sin bearer. He that knew no sin became sin in our behalf that we might be made to become the righteousness of God in Him. We're made fit for God because why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus died on the cross and arose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and He's coming again. That is the basic gospel message that we preach and that we proclaim today. And so here it is. We have to believe that Jesus is the one who can save me, who can change my life, who can fill me with His presence and His power by the Holy Spirit. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And you have to confess Him as Lord. Confess means to say the same thing, to tell God what He already knows. Well, if God already knows that I'm a sinner and that Jesus can save me, if He knows that I want to be saved, why doesn't He just save me? Because confession is our responsibility. It's us owning up and acknowledging who and what we are. If we confess with our mouths Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved, we're told over in Romans chapter 10. For with the heart man believes, resulting in a right relationship with God, with the mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never trusted Jesus, you can know him today. You can call out to him. Lord Jesus, I'm calling out to you. I'm a sinner. I know I need salvation. 
I need you to come in my life to save me, to cleanse me, to make me what I need to be for you. I give my life to you. The Bible tells us over in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke that if we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're not going to keep it to ourselves. We need to tell somebody. If we confess our fault, confess Jesus before men on this earth, he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. If we deny him before men on this earth, he'll deny us before our Father who is in heaven. So that's why we have an invitation to invite you to publicly respond and tell the world that Jesus is Lord of my life. What is God doing in your life? Do you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We invite you today to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm assuming we do an invitation. Okay. So after we pray, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. How would God have you respond to his word today? Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you. Give us courage and freedom to act on your word. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen and amen. As we stand, how would the Lord have you respond? Would you come?